and glad that you're here again. Why don't we tell them thanks for our lunch, all those that put in. Again, I want to encourage you every single week to, to think about not just being here, commit to being here for sure yourself, but think about who you can invite. Uh, say it every week, but we truly would like to see our men's lunch continue to grow and grow and grow. I, I always say it, but I believe one of the best things we're doing as a church is meeting on Thursdays as men to say, you know what, this is what the Bible says it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a biblically driven follower of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you as always, be sure and, and think about who you can ask to join you every single week. Today we're going to move to uh, the book of 2 Peter. If you, if, you, if you remember last week, we finished the book of 1 Peter. And after that, I really prayed about it and thought about where we would go from there, where God would have us uh, to go from there. And I believe he's led us here to, to move into 2 Peter. But I think it's for a very big reason, a very great reason, a very pertinent reason uh, in the age that we're living in. I want you to listen very carefully to today. I want you to be sure and hear this as we start off moving in uh, to the book of Second Peter. Uh, today, this day, today, October uh, 2017, today, you be sure and understand we live at a place in history unlike any generation of people in the history of the earth. I, I truly believe that today. The importance of the day, the urgency of the hour cannot be overstated. And I think, well, we're working jobs and we're taking care of stuff, and sometimes we're missing that. The urgency of this hour, the urgency and the importance of these days cannot be overstated. We are living at a time uh, when evilness, and I'm talking about straight up evilness, watch what happened in Las Vegas and these other places, evilness is on the rise, wickedness is increasing exponentially in this age. Uh, we're living in an age when, when sin and vileness and hatred and division and corruption, they're raging like a fire. Uh, we're living in, a in an age when, so, when people are so lost. People are lost. People are so misled, and yet they're consumed in the materialism of the day, the stuff of the day, that they can't even see it. Look around. People are absolutely lost today, confused today, but the, the things of this life have misled them, and they're totally missing that. The home today is being destroyed. Lives are being crushed. People, people are hurting. Uh, we live in an age, and, and I believe unlike any other age, when, when God is utterly ignored. I believe our society, our culture more than any other time is utterly rejecting God, is, is openly mocking God, His truth, uh, His word. The Bible is cast aside as just superstition, as just blatant outright ignorance and they're, and they're setting aside the word of God. We're living at a time unlike any other time in human history. But more than that, we're living in a time when, unlike any previous generation, like no other people in history, when we are living on the cusp, when we are living right on the razor's edge of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And it says this, And for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Listen to me. We are right on the verge of Jesus coming again. The shout, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of the Lord, and Jesus is going to come again for his people. Be sure there is nothing left that has to take place. There is no further prophecy that has to be fulfilled before Jesus comes again for his church. It is soon and it is very soon that Jesus is coming for his church. Do you understand the crossroads that we live in? Be sure and understand we live, we exist where no other generation has existed. Can't you see that? Can't you really even feel that in the air? That is where we live in a corrupt age, getting worse, but right very soon before Jesus comes again for the church. Let me tell you this, and this is my opinion. There has never been, and you can go back and you can read the New Testament, you can look at at world history, you can look at at the New Testament church history, there has never been a more vital time for followers of Jesus Christ to sell out to the cause of Jesus Christ, to cast off the things of this world, and to stand as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Do you see that? I truly believe that. There has never been a more vital time for Christians to say, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to cast off the things, to separate yourself from the things that aren't going to matter and exist as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And so all of that brings us to our letter here in 2 Peter. Think about this. In 1 Peter, Peter writes to Christians who are going to be and who are starting to be persecuted for the sake of the gospel. These folks put their faith in Christ. They're suffering persecution. They're being beaten. They're being hauled to jail. They're losing their property rights. He writes the letter really to these Christians to reassure them. They're wondering what in the world's going on. He he writes the letter to encourage them. He writes the letter, 1 Peter, to, to comfort them. And that's, that's the, the letter we just came through. But now it is a more serious time. In the midst of that persecution, he writes them again. He writes them a second letter to warn them of a great threat. First letter, he writes them to comfort them. The second letter, he writes to warn them of a great threat. And that threat is the threat of false teachers. Very soon, in fact, he is actually in prison in Rome when he writes this letter. Very soon, Peter is going to be tortured. Peter is going to be, church history tells us, crucified upside down. Very soon, that's about to be his fate. But there in that cell, he sees how important it is for the truth to stand. He knows if the church is ever going to endure, they're going to endure by standing On the truth. He knows if the gospel is ever going to spread, if the gospel is ever going to make a difference, it's going to be because it is grounded in the truth. So he writes us this last letter to guard the truth and at the same time to point out the threat of false teachers. Be very sure today, October 2017, with all of the the rapid publishing that we have now. We can publish a book very quickly with radio and TV today. For sure, with the internet today, there have never been so many false teachers on the earth. 
Be sure of that. There's never been so much garbage put out as religious talk as the truth as there is in 2017. And I'll tell you, you mix that with a biblically illiterate church with an undiscerning church. And today, many, many, many people are giving way. They're falling prey to an avalanche of garbage that's straight from the pits of hell. That's the age we're living in. The, the crud is rampant. The, the means for it to spread is, is rampant. And we're an undiscerning people that, that do not have a knowledge of God's word. And so people are falling one by one to the avalanche of crud in our age. And so we need this letter in our day. And God in his grace gives it to us in our day. We're going to start today. I thought we'd look at the first three verses. Uh, we're only going to have time to look at the first verse and we're going to start here. If you have your Bible, I want to ask you to turn to 2 Peter. If you do not have your Bible, I want to encourage you to bring your Bible every single week as we go through our Bible study. But we're going to start off today by looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. The very first verse. I'm going to read it to you and then we'll start to discuss it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says this. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have received a faith of the same kind of ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The introduction to the letter, I'm going to read it again. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have received a faith of the same kind of ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the very first verse here, as we start into this letter... Peter tells us who is writing the letter. Makes it very simple, very plain. He tells us who is writing the letter. And then very soon after that, he tells us who he is writing to. Uh, so, so really, he's just laying the groundwork. Here's who wrote the letter, and who, here is who the letter is written to. So first off, we see who is writing. I think all this is very important. It says this, Simon Peter. He gives his name, Simon Peter. That's, that's his name, Simon Peter. That's who is the author of this letter. But then he goes on to describe himself. He says, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. A bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's look at those words. A, a bondservant here is a Greek word. Uh, the Greek word here is doulos, doulos. It literally means slave. A bondservant of Jesus Christ. When you break it down, it means a slave. Now, we can try and dress that up. We can try and make it more appealing. But he basically says a slave. I am Peter, a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, what he's saying here by, by giving this title, he is saying very clearly Jesus is his Lord. He is saying Jesus is his master. He says the one that he serves is Jesus Christ. He says, Peter, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Now understand, this is a statement of great humility. If you were to write a letter to anybody and you wanted to impress them, you wouldn't want to call yourself a slave. This is a title of great humility. I'll just tell you this, in all ages and in all cultures, nobody wants to be a slave. There's no prestige in being a slave. That's not a position that you seek to have. Nobody wants to be a slave, but Peter calls himself, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing he says. You want to know who I am? I am a slave 
of Jesus Christ. He's the master. He's the Lord. I am a slave. That's the first way he describes himself. Second thing he says is this, an apostle of Jesus Christ, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now I want to explain this because it's very, very important then to understand the context. It's very, very important for us today. An apostle, the general definition, the general understanding means one who is sent. An apostle is one who's sent out. That's an apostle. They're one who is sent. And so that's the general understanding, the general definition of an apostle. But in the New Testament, in our New Testament, the context is much narrower than that. It is much more specific than that. In the New Testament, when you find out, when you read the word about an apostle, it comes down to this definition. It is a person who is sent by Jesus, a person who is commissioned by Jesus, and at the same time, a person who was witness to the resurrected Jesus. And that's, that's the strict sense of the word, a New Testament apostle. This is the person who's been commissioned by Jesus Christ and a person who was witness to the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now, an apostle had the God-given authority and God selects him. Nobody decides, hey, I'd like to be an apostle. It wasn't something you sought, but an apostle had the God-given authority to speak for God. They had that authority. God gave it to them. They could speak for God. Now, they also had the ability to heal very clearly, and they had the ability to cast out demons. Now, these two things, I believe, were to confirm the authority of the message. They came, and they were speaking for God. They were speaking the words of God, and they had the ability to heal. They had the ability to cast out demons, but it wasn't for healing's sake. It wasn't for casting out demons' sake. It was to confirm the message that they preached. It confirmed the authority that they held. That's what they could do as a New Testament apostle. That is what an apostle is. In the New Testament, we find the 12, and then we find Paul. Those are the apostles in the New Testament. Commissioned by Jesus Christ, witness to the resurrected Jesus. Paul was on the Damascus Road. So I want you to understand, biblically speaking, that is the office of an apostle. That is the definition of an apostle. And so we need to understand it's going to be very important in the days that we're in. By that understanding, by that definition, the office is closed. The office is closed. Those, those guys that spoke the word of the New Testament, that's our Bible. That's our New Testament. These words that they spoke, those are the words of God. Nobody has that ability today. Now, we live in an age where people say, you know what, I'm speaking again the words of God. There's a reformation, a new apostolic reformation, and they say, you know what, starting in 1996, the office of apostles started back up, and I speak as God on earth again. I want to tell you, that is a heresy and that is a lie. The office has ceased to exist. We have their words. It is our New Testament. That's a big deal. So Peter says here, the author is himself, Peter and he says, I am a slave and I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. Then he tells us who he's writing to. Let's go back to verse 1. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. 
to those who have received a faith of the same kind of ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice a couple of things here. Really, he, he's writing here. He's, he's telling us who he's writing to. Really, we know that he's writing to the same people that he wrote the first letter to. He's again in Rome. He's writing the letter out. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter that it was those that were scattered due to the persecution that had gone on. These, these Christians that were in various places. So it's not to a specific church. It's not to a specific person. But it is to Christians who have been scattered. But listen, that's who, he, that's who he sends it to. But listen here at what he calls them. Listen to the title he gives them. He says, those who have received, received. It's talking about God's grace. They received what God gave. It says a faith. They received a faith. He's talking about here a saving faith in Jesus Christ. These folks, they have received in God's grace a faith, a saving faith. And then he says the same kind as ours. Then he continues and says, by the righteousness by the righteousness. Do you know we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? He says, by the righteousness. And then he says this, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that's the title that he gives the folks that receive this letter. To those who have received a faith of the same kind of, as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now there's several things I could pull out here, but I want to show you two things here in this verse. The first is this. It says, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our, did you see it? Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there's something to drive home here. There's something to establish firmly here. Jesus is God. Jesus is fully God. That's what it says. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Anybody who says Jesus is anything but God is telling you a mistruth, is telling you a lie. That is not our Jesus. When the Jehovah's Witnesses come and they want to use our words and they want to say what we're going to say and say we belong to the same sect, we have the same idea of Jesus, listen to me, they say he's not God, he is not our Jesus. He is God. Jesus is God. Second thing is this. He's also our Savior. Buddha might be God. He's a false God. He's nobody's Savior. Allah, he's a whole lot of people's God. He's nobody's Savior. What this means is this. If we're ever going to be saved as humans... If we ever had the possibility of salvation, it is because of Jesus Christ who is fully God and who is our Savior. What we see here very quickly is this. It's all about Jesus. It's about the truth of Jesus. He tells us that up front. One other thing to see here, and I think it's very important, especially in the age we're living in. It says that they've received, in God's grace, a faith, a saving faith. They have received a faith the same kind of ours. The same kind translates this. The, the, the same kind as ours. That word same kind in the Greek, in the original language, translates of equal value. Now I want you to stay with me. 
it really translates to its base understanding of equal privilege. Now, what that means is this. A faith of the same kind of ours, of equal privilege of ours. Now, this was coming from Jews, and it was heading towards Gentiles. It was coming from an apostle, and it was heading to these people. And what, what this means is, listen to me very carefully, there is no rank in the faith that they hold. Listen, there is no rank in the faith that we hold. Now let me say this very clearly where we can understand it. What he's saying is it is of the same privilege. I'm an apostle and I'm telling you to you, it's of the same privilege for both of us. You know what? These Jews may have had it first because Jesus started there in Jerusalem, but it's of the same privilege as they've received it as the Gentiles are receiving it. And let me, let me tell you what this means in our words. What it means is this. There is no poor gospel and there is no rich gospel. There is no high-class gospel, and there is no low-class gospel. There is no Jewish gospel, and there is no Gentile gospel. There is no white gospel, and there is no black gospel. But what there is is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's the same for all people. So he ends the first verse. And man, I'd like to get into those next two verses, but it ends the first verse. And it all comes down to Jesus. He's in a cell. He's about to come out and be crucified. He's already being treated terribly. It's about to get worse for him. He sees the threat against the church. He sees the persecution against the church. He sees what's looming there on the horizon. He sees the fact that the truth must stand. And so there, about to face his execution, he understands it's all about Jesus. It all comes down to Jesus. So in the very first verse of his letter, he starts off with Jesus. We live in a crazy age. We live in an age that no one's ever existed in human history. We live in an age when Jesus is soon to come again for his church. And I want to tell you today, and you be sure as you walk out of this men's lunch, friends, our hope in these days is in Jesus Christ. Our relief as sinful people today is that we would cry out to Jesus Christ, save me from my sin, come into my heart, change me, forgive me, Save me. That is our relief as sinful people. Once we've done that, our commission is to point all people, especially in these days, to faith in Jesus Christ. It is all about Jesus. Most crucial time to ever live, I believe. Most important time to ever live, I believe. And we start off with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. I'm thankful for you. We just come. We worship you. We praise you. We exalt the name of our God, our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We come. We're thankful that you love us and that your love is eternal. That you love us as sinners, that it wasn't conditional upon us keeping rules or getting stuff in order, but, but your grace is extended, your love is made known through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I'm thankful that you didn't write us off, you should have. That you didn't cast us into a trash heap, you should have. 
That you didn't condemn us to hell to die forever with no possibility of a salvation. And you should have. But through Jesus Christ, you settled it. Through Jesus Christ, you redeem us. Through Jesus Christ, you restore us. Through Jesus Christ, you renew us. And so I pray as men today, as we've heard this message, that as we leave from here, that we would embrace Jesus Christ. Some that do not know him, that today they might put their faith in him for the first time. For those of us who have settled that, that we would leave here with a new priority set, maybe. With a new passion today, maybe. That we would tell people in these last days about the hope that still stands, our Savior, Jesus. Bless the men in this room. Bless them as they lead in their workplace. Bless them as they lead in their homes. Bless them as they lead as they guide their children. Bless them as they lead as they, as they teach and they love and they care for their wives. Bless them as they go into churches to serve your cause. Bless them as they exist in the midst of evil and would endeavor to stand to point for Jesus Christ. Bless these men. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.